We're in a series right now called Build Your Church. We've been looking at what is God building? What is the church? Who's the church? What does it exist for? All of those things that are there. Uh, there's a lot of great messages that I believe have already been shared in regards to what God's heart is for the church. We've talked about church hurt. We've talked about offenses. We've talked about being joined to it. We've talked about spiritual family. What I'm going to do is I'm going to now start switching gears. Uh, I'm going to start uh, sharing really the vision that, that I believe that God has given the church as a whole, but specifically our church as well. And uh, I, every week, am going to start tackling different aspects of what I feel our Savior's church is called to be. And so today, uh, I'm titling today's message, a, a, The Church uh, a church that sees, a church that sees. Uh, we're gonna talk about a church that prays. We're gonna talk about a church that worships. We're gonna talk about a church that sins. There's a lot of things that we're gonna talk about in the coming, coming weeks, but God's really been putting this message very big on my heart for a while now. I've been waiting to share this message because I think this is really one of the greatest heartbeats of our church. A church that sees, everybody say that, a church a church that sees. So uh, we're going to transition now in this, in this series to what does this look like? What is God calling us to do? And one of the final things that Jesus told us to do in uh, the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at it in just a minute, is what we call the Great Commission. It is the commission to go, to go and to, to reach people. Our passion is to reach people and build lives. Today's message is going to be, what does it look like for us to reach people? How do we reach people where they are? And I want to show you that this great commission was not just in Matthew. It's actually what I call the five great commissions. If you go and you look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look at the Gospels. All four of those were written by four different people that were followers of Jesus. And so you get four really of the same story, but a different story, different perspectives. That would be like you and I going to an event and then someone asking, how did it go? And every person would share probably something a little bit different. They were at the same place, but they shared it in different ways. And so I want to show you how this great commission that gets talked about that's in Matthew is actually in all of them. Um, but we'll start in Matthew, Matthew 28. Um, if you have your notes, let me see them. If you got some notes, wave them at me. Let me just see. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, feel free to take some notes uh, as we go along. The, these notes are also on our app online. If you have our OSC Connect app, you'll see those as well. But Matthew 28, I'm going to have you read all of these with me. Okay. We're going to read the whole thing together. Like the whole thing, not just the white words, but the whole thing. We're going to read it all together. And we're going to start in Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. And it says, let's go, ready? Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Very good. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely... Okay, so that is Matthew's great commission. Now let's go to Mark. Okay, let's go to the next one. Mark says this, everybody. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. All right, and in Luke, he says it, ready? With my authority, take this message of repentance to all the nations, There is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. How many of you are grateful for that right there, by the way? Come on, can we give Jesus some praise to them? All right. Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, let me make sure I got the books right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I'm just a pastor here, don't worry, I know my Bible. All right, uh, John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Very good, that's one of the shortest ones. And Acts, it says well. Now, if you know anything, um, Luke, 
The writer of Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Acts is kind of like uh, the second, it's like the, the, the sequel to, to Luke. Um, and so Acts also says it in Acts chapter one, verse eight. So this is our fifth one here. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit and you in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is it. So when people ask, why do we plant churches and why do we plant campuses? This is why. Why do we believe in the next generation? This is why. Why are we so passionate about seeing lost people come to Christ? This is why. Five times in five different books, Jesus commissions his church to go, 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 go. Our goal in church is not to gather. Our goal in church is to gather to scatter. To gather to scatter. I don't know about y'all. I want to plunder hell and populate heaven as much as I possibly can. If people want to go through hell, they got to go through me. And you need to have that same mindset. And that's our church's mindset here in Jennings and in Crowley and in Eunice, is that you're gonna have to go through our church if you wanna go through hell. We're we're gonna make it difficult for you to get there. We're gonna preach and preach and preach and we're gonna love and we're gonna serve. And this is our heart's desire from the very beginning. We wanna reach people. We wanna build lives, and I'll talk way more about that in the weeks to come, but I want us to start with this passion here because you can't build anything you don't reach. You gotta reach first, and then we can build. Here is the premise of today's message. If you're gonna write anything down, this is the big one right here, ready? I want you to write this down. If you're online, I want you to just to type this out, this whole thing, it's really short, and that is you cannot reach what you cannot see. You cannot reach what you cannot see. A couple weeks ago, I had gone to a fast food restaurant uh, here in town. I won't name the restaurant. It doesn't really matter anyways. I was pulling out of the restaurant and getting onto the very busy Highway 26. Um, And have you ever been in that um, time where you're trying to get onto the road? There's a light that's very inconveniently placed very close to this restaurant. And so everybody is piled up, piled up, piled up. Y'all, y'all been there? And you're just wanting to get in. That's all, you just want to get in. And so, there, it, you know, Highway 26 has two lanes, okay? And so I'm just trying to get into the, to the closest lane. And so this lady pulls up, all right? And, uh, and she has her daughter, probably a teenager or so, sitting in the passenger seat. And so I'm like edging, you know, like, you know what you kind of do? You just kind of edge forward just to kind of be like, is this one, is this one gonna be it? And like she, the, the, the lady that, driving is not looking at me at all. Like she doesn't even want to look and see. And so I'm, lo- I'm looking at the teenager. I'm like locked in with the teenager. I'm like, please, please, just let me in, let me in. And, and I could see the teenager like leans over to her mom and it's like, mom, mom, mom. And, and, and her mom's not looking. <laughs> it's like, it's like, if I don't see you, I don't got to let you in. And then how many you know, because I'm a man of God, I hit my horn, okay, so. Okay, listen, it was, listen, it was a love tap, okay? It wasn't one of those, ah, it was one of those, ha ha, here, here, here. A pastor at our Savior's church, come on, you would be letting Jesus in, okay, just let me in. 
<laughs> I'm kidding. So, <laughs> so the girl, I can tell like the, the teenage girl has like empathy on me because there's been like 15 cars that have passed and no one's looking at me. No one's wanting to help me. And this girl's like, mom, mom, like let them, let them in. And so eventually the mom was like. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like. <laughs> so yet again, if, if I don't see you, I'm not responsible for you. If I don't see you, then, then I don't have to help you. It's, it's the reason why a lot of us, let's be honest, when we, when we flip on the television and you, know, you see those commercials or you see those, uh, those organizations that are doing stuff all around the world, it's like you hurry up and change it. Because once I see it, it messes with me. I've had the opportunity to go to South Africa, Last year, I had the opportunity to go to Haiti, and when you see someone living in a cardboard box, like, it, it, you're never the same. You're never the same. Like, I've got to do something about this. Like, if there's something I can do, I need to do something about this. This is why Lindsay and I have been um, sponsoring a kid uh, for Compassion for now going on almost 16 years because I've seen what they've been doing, which by the way, we didn't even put that announcement in. Compassion International is coming uh, the second week of November and doing an entire journey project in our Connections Building where you're going to be able to walk through our Connections Building and see what it's like to be in other countries. It's going to be really cool. We'll share more about it in the weeks to come. But um, God's done so much in my heart in regards to this. But if I can't see you, I'm not responsible for you. And this is a really, really big deal because God wants us to see. He wants us to see as he sees. Um, and so I want, to, I want us to look at a story today found in John chapter 4. We're going to go to John chapter 4. And, and, and let me just set up the story. I, I don't have time to read the entire story to you. You can go read it yourself, but I'll just give you the very quick highlight reel of it. Uh, the disciples are on, on, a, on a food run. I'm sure they went to Chick-fil-A or something because that's the Lord's chicken. And so they go into the city. They go into the city. They're, they're, on a, they're, they're hungry. So they go to go get food. Jesus hangs back and uh, Jesus is thirsty. He goes to a well. He's hanging out at a well and he encounters a woman. This is not just any woman, this is a Samaritan woman. And I love this story because of a couple of things that begin to transpire. Jesus looks at this woman and says, can you give me something to drink? <clears throat> and she is thrown back by this because if you know the, that day and age, first off, Jewish men did not speak to women. They, they were very degrading of women. They thought women were just as low as dogs, um, which I love Jesus. Hey, by the way, how many are you grateful that Jesus values all people, men, women, children, and all that? He just, in that instant moment, just crushes that, that, that gender barrier. Just boom. The other barrier that he crushes, though, is not only that, that Jewish men didn't speak to women. Jewish men really didn't speak to, or Jewish people did not speak to Samaritans. So it wasn't just that she was just a woman, it was that she was a Samaritan woman, and just in that moment, he broke the racial barrier at the same time. Gender barrier and racial barrier, which by the way, those are two things that we're also very committed to breaking. And so Jesus shows up, and he, you know, he has asked her, and she's like, why are you speaking to me? And, 
and uh, has this conversation with her, and then he, then he asks her just a question. He says, um, where's your husband? And she says, well, I'm not married. And he says, you're right, you're not married. You've actually been married four, five times, and the man that you're with currently is not even your husband. And she says, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> Maybe so. And then he begins to just tell her, hey, you should be asking me for water because the water that I'm going to give you is living water and you would never thirst again. She radically gets saved in that moment and so she takes off from that moment and runs back into the city and that's where I want to catch up with the story. Look with me in John chapter four, verse 27. It says, just then, so I want you to imagine the woman is taking off to the city. Now the disciples are coming back with the food. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. So she's, she's about to be on her way out. And I love this because it says, no one asked. I always just find this a bit, a bit odd that this is actually in scripture, but it was never actually ever spoken. Think about that. So John is the writer, so undoubtedly John's the one having this conversation. No one asked, what do you want? So nobody asked the rabbi like, hey, do you need some food? <laughs> and then the second question is no one asked, why are you talking to her? Yet again, it was such a big deal, but everybody's thinking it. At least we know John is thinking it, but no one's asking. And the next verse says, and, and then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town to, and said to the people, come, everybody say this. See. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Next verse says, so they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. We got some food. I got some leftovers. You want anything? You need, you need to eat. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. <laughs> and then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him some food? <laughs> who, who? Who brought him some food? And yet they're still, they're not getting it. They're just not getting it. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So my, this, is my, this, is my, this is why I came, guys. You're missing the whole point. This is, I'm trying to help y'all see something here. This is, there's something much bigger that's going on. Don't you have a saying? So now he's going to use a saying that they've heard all the time. It's still four months until harvest. This is a saying that, that farmers would say um, when, man, I just really don't want to do much right now. I, I still got four months. I still got time. I got time. I got time. I got time. And he tells them, here we go. What does he tell them? What does he tell them? What does he tell them? Open your eyes. Open your eyes. And look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. <clears throat> we can get so focused on what we're doing, we miss what God's doing. And by the way, if it could happen to the disciples, it can happen to us. So focused on the errands I got to run, so focused on the job that I got to do, so focused on getting my kids to where they need to go, so focused on, on what, I'm, what I got going on, that there are God moments happening all around us that are ready and ripe to happen, but because we don't have eyes to see, we miss them all the time. And I don't say this in a condemning way because I've done this countless times, and I know there have been countless moments where I have missed God. I knew that was a moment and I missed it. I missed it. 
You've probably had those as well. But I am convinced more than anything that if Jesus was standing here and could speak to our church, he would tell us, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Now, as you can tell, I wear glasses, okay? Um, Thank you. And so when I... uh, when I found out that I was going to have to wear glasses, it was a bit of a process because I was 18 years old, I was driving, and I was realizing that I could not read the, um, the billboards. That's a big issue. Then I started realizing I couldn't read the street signs. And my mom was like, you're going to go get your eyes checked. And I'm like, I'm good. She's like, you can't even see what road that is. Like, no, you're going to go get your eyes checked. And so my very first experience at the eye doctors was a bit of a unique experience. If any of you have ever gone to the eye doctor for the very first time, it is a bit of an experience. They need to prepare you for what you're about to walk into. Because you get into there and they start asking you all these questions and then they ask you to cover your eyes and look at all these letters to see if you went to school and no letters or something. And you're going down, you're asking all this stuff. And then, and then they tell you to look really, really focus. And then all of a sudden they do this. No preparation, no plan. No, nobody's going to be whispering sweet somethings into my eye. Nobody said that. Just, what the heck is going on? Then they do it in the other eye. And then they're like, hey, here's some, some drops. And then they put some drops in your eye. And then you're like, what in the world just happened? And then they tell you to look in this little crazy goggle thing. And then they're like, A or B, A or B, B, A, 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 B, B, A, 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 B, B, A. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, they look the same. I don't know which one. And then I can't see it. And I'm like dilated. I'm looking and like lights are flashing up. And y'all been there before? It's like, then you're like, where am I? You know, it's just a lot of stuff that starts tracking through your mind. And, and so I did all that. And, uh, and the doctor comes in and he sits down and he says, well, I think we know what the issue is. He says, you're nearsighted. And I said, well, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I'm farsighted. I can't see far things. He says, no, 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 you're nearsighted. I say, no, you're wrong. I am farsighted. I cannot see far things. He said, no, no, no you, you don't realize. Like we diagnose it and we say what you're actually good at. I'm like, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. That's like my arm broke and you came in and said, your foot's good. (laughs) Yeah, I know that, but my arm is broke. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know why they do it, but I, so I found out that I'm nearsighted. But, but the craziest part of all that is, is when you're nearsighted, you actually can see close. You just can't see far. Any nearsighted people in here? Who's all nearsighted right now? Okay. Yeah. Nearsighted unite. Okay. All right. So, so I found out that, that I'm nearsighted. Now, with nearsightedness, okay, I can, see, I can see the hair on my skin. So if I take these off, I can see the hair on my skin. I can see the name of my bracelet. I can see the words that are on this screen. I just can't see you. <laughs> Maybe I need to preach that way. I just... <laughs> what I've learned, though, is that is the same condition of the church, We can see our issues, we can see our problems, we can see our needs, we can see our wants. The issue is I just can't see you. I can't see anybody else. I see see what I'm going through, and I need you to hear me very closely. It's impossible to see anybody else's needs when you're only focused on your own. It's impossible. It's impossible. You cannot see anybody else hurting when all you do is focus on your own hurt. You can't see anybody else that needs something when you only focus on what you need. You're, you're, and, 
And so if God is here today, he would say, open your eyes. Open your eyes. He wants to build a church that sees. We're very aware of our own shortcomings. We're very aware of what we struggle with. We're very aware, I think, in a lot of times of what we need. But we can be very nearsighted. The church can be extremely nearsighted. So let's ask this question. How can I know if I'm nearsighted? I know you're probably asking that right now. How do I know if I'm nearsighted? And I'm going to answer the question for you. If God answered all your prayers, would it change the world or just change me? Let's think about that for a moment. If God was to answer every prayer that you have been praying for this last week, would it only affect you? Or would it affect the world? Would it affect the city? Would it affect a school? Would it affect your job? Would it affect your, your family? Would it affect your friends? Would it affect your neighbors? Would it affect, God is calling us to get beyond ourselves. So I wanna share a message called God is building a church that sees. And so I wanna share three things that I think God wants us to see. Three things that I believe God wants you and I and us corporately as a church to see. First thing is this, God's church sees his purpose. God is building a church that wants us to see his purpose. Now, Lindsay and I absolutely love traveling. I'm thankful I married a, a woman who loves to travel. I love traveling. We always love going and doing new places and, and, and uh, trying new things. And so uh, this summer, we had a two-month sabbatical. And a part of that sabbatical was for us to get out of Jennings and just to go travel and enjoy our family and make memories and all this stuff. So uh, Lindsay and I uh, had a doctor's appointment for our youngest soul. soul. Yeah, he is a soul. Son. Joel in uh, Colorado, his doctor's in Colorado. So we normally fly up there. And so Lindsay was like, what if we drove? And I'm like, well, what if we flew? (laughs) She's like, we could save a ton of money and it could be a fun trip. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. So we did a road trip to Colorado and uh, we stayed um, for about two weeks. It was a two week road trip. And I think we stayed in nine Airbnbs, hotels, or or, or, um, um. VRBOs. And so I have the responsibility as, uh, as the researcher in our family to look up where we're going to be staying. So that's my job, to find good places. And if it's a terrible place, it's my fault. And if it's a great place, it's everybody else's. And so for those in here that maybe have done that, if you, know, you get on Airbnb or something, we like to stay in those more because our family's getting bigger and hotels are cramped and all that stuff. So I'm looking at everything. I'm looking at uh, reviews. I'm looking at amenities. I'm looking at location. I'm looking at restaurants around there. I'm looking at activities we can do that are close. I mean, I'm, I'm researching the whole thing. You know, is there, is there a fireplace? Is there, I mean, my boys are big like into hot tub jacuzzis. Like, does it have a jacuzzi? Um, does it have, you know, stuff outside for us to play? Uh, my boys want to know, does it have a TV? <laughs> um, does it have internet? Um, all of these things at once. And, and, and so we stayed in some really cool places and it was fun. It was a fun trip. And so the reason I bring all that up is because that's what you do when you go stay at a hotel or you stay at an Airbnb or you stay at a VRBO. It's all about me. It's all about my comforts. It's all about my wants. It's all about my desires. It's all about my preferences. All of those things. It's all about that. 
it's all about me. It's all about me and what I, what I want. I'm paying for it. I want to make sure that what I'm paying for is all about me. The reason I say that is because it's all about me has crept into the church. And people have treated the church not like the church, but they've treated it like a hotel. So we look at the church and, and we, we wonder, like, where's my parking spot? Where's my seat? Why is this long line taking so long? Where's the coffee? <laughs> I, I don't like that song. I don't like that preacher. I don't like that thing. I, I want more of this. I want more of that. I would like more of this. And so what ends up happening is we treat the church in such a way where it becomes all about me. And, and I'll just go ahead and say this right out. If you're looking for a church that's all about you, you will not like our church. Because the church never existed for us. And the minute we turn inward and make it all about us is the moment we start dying as a church. It's never been about us. It will never be about us. It's all about him and who he wants to reach through us. And so, yes, we make it about you when you come in because we want to help you and get you healthy and get you whole. But it doesn't stay there. I mean, no, my kids, it's all about them when they get to about six or seven. But how many know when they start getting eight, nine and ten, it's no longer about them. Yes, I want to help you, but now you've got responsibilities. Now it's about us. Now it's about helping. Now you're a part of what's going on. And I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus gives us a model of this when he says in verse 9, he says, as Jesus was walking along, what did he do? He what? Saw. Eyes open, right? Eyes open. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. So it tells us now his profession. And he looks at this man who is a tax collector, which, by the way, was a, a person, yet again, that Jewish people absolutely despised because the tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Roman Empire. So they were Jews who pretty much betrayed their own people by going and working for a government that used them to rob from their own people. So think about how a Jewish person would feel when they come up to a tax collector who is a Jew, but that Jew is working for other people to rob his own people. And Jesus, who is a Jewish man, walks up to Matthew, who is a Jewish man as well, who's a tax collector, and he tells him, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Matthew, I'm sure it was first off going, me, you sure, me? But he gets up and he follows him, and later Matthew invited, now watch this, Matthew invites Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Hey, why don't you come to my house now, and I want to introduce you to all my friends. Well, what kind of friends do you think a tax collector has? Watch this. Along with many tax collectors and other <laughs> disreputable sinners. This guy's first class right here, all right? So these are his friends. These are the only people that really want to do life with them. It's people that are really, really far from anything that, that we would think would be probably biblical or moral. And I want you to see, because when the Pharisees saw, so Jesus sees a man, the Pharisees also see a man, they also see what's going on. It says they asked Jesus' disciples, by the way, they didn't ask Jesus himself, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Hmm. And then Jesus hears this and he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Sick people do. Sick people do. 
I pray that we can see Jesus' purpose because Jesus is showing them that he didn't just come for healthy people, he came for sick people. And how many know when we look around the world, we see a lot of people who are sick right now? We see a lot of people who are struggling right now. We see a lot of people that are battling depression right now. We see a lot of people that are struggling in marriages right now. We see a lot of people that are struggling in their faith. A lot of people that are struggling just internal um, conflict that they have that's, that's going on. Sick, by the way, sickness comes in all shapes and sizes. Sickness doesn't matter if you're white or black. Sickness doesn't matter if you're young or poor. Uh, young or poor. Yeah, you are young and probably poor. Um, <laughs> you can also be old and poor too. Uh, Sickness doesn't matter. I mean, no, it, 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 it'll, it'll attack anybody. People who are poor battle with depression and people who are wealthy battle with depression. People who are white battle with anxiety and people who are black battle with anxiety. Uh, that sickness comes in all shapes and sizes. But I want you to hear me. The church is a hospital for the sick, not a hotel for the saints. Church has always been that way. We talked last week about the saints and how we're going to be a house of the saints. But this saints is not a hotel for us, for our preferences, for our wants, for our desires. No, no, no. We are a hospital for people who are broken, hurting, and saying, come on, we just got to the hospital maybe before you did. But you are welcome to come into this place. And how many know when, you, when you're sick, you don't try to clean yourself up and get yourself healthy before you actually go into the hospital? You walk up into that hospital sometimes trying to just hold it all together. You're just getting inside of it. And by the way, when you get into the hospital, the doctor doesn't look at you and treat you with judgment. He treats you. He just treats you with care. He looks at you and says, what's going on? Where's the hurt? Where's the pain? How can I help? He doesn't give you a lecture. He gives you medicine. How many know when Jesus sees you in your hurt, brokenness, he don't give you a lecture. He gives you medicine. He gives you the way of life. He gives you the truth of life. He gives you the help of what he can do. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And I love this because God is creating a church that says, if you're broken, welcome here. If you're hurting, welcome here. If you're lonely, welcome here. If you're depressed, welcome here. If you had a fight this week, welcome here. If you're at the bar and you were strung out and you, 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 you don't know where to turn, welcome here. If your marriage is on the break, welcome here. You are welcome in this place. And it's only Pharisees that say, what kind of people are those? Some of y'all look around this church and you're like, I can't believe this person's here. And they're probably saying the same thing about you. <laughs> But this is a place that Jesus is saying, God, I wanna I want build a church that sees, that sees my purpose. My purpose is not just to gather a bunch of saints together and we can just have a holy huddle and we all feel good about ourselves. No, this place is a hospital for broken people to come in and get some hope and get some healing and get some help. This is what God has called us to build. And our prayer is that every sick person feels welcome in this place. And I know people, and, and here's the problem. When people get sick, often they run from the church, not to it. And that speaks more about the church than it does about the person. If we as a church say, you know what? No, if you're broken, you're hurting, come. Come. We want you. So we need to see Jesus' purpose. His purpose for the church is that we are a place for sick people. And by the way, God doesn't want you to stay sick. How many know, it's one thing to come in and be sick, but how many know, we want you to get medicine and get healthy and get whole so you can get going, okay? So some people like to stay sick. That's not what God wants. 
He wants you to deal with the sickness so that you can get healthy and whole. Second thing is we want his perspective. His perspective. God wants us to see his purpose, but he also wants us to see his perspective. Matthew chapter nine. Now, now let's look. The same chapter we just read about uh, Matthew as a tax collector and his friends and all that. You go down just a couple of verses to verse 36 and it says this. Watch, you're gonna see it here. When he, say it again, when he, so this Jesus sees the man, now Jesus sees the crowd. How many know Jesus can see the man even in the crowd? And I love this about Jesus, that even in a crowd, Jesus can see the man. But, it, but he also doesn't miss the crowd. He sees the crowd. And, and, and when he sees as God, the Father, has Jesus see, he's moved with compassion. With compassion for them because, because they were confused and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I can't think of a better description of so many people right now. Confused, helpless. Other versions say harassed. Harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Just lost. I don't know where to go. I need guidance. I need direction. I've tried everything. Nothing's working. And watch what Jesus says. Here's, here's what Jesus says. After he sees all that, he says, now he looks at his disciples. He sees all this brokenness, all of hurting humanity. And now he turns to his disciples and he says, guys, the harvest is great but the workers are few. Watch the next verse. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. Notice he doesn't say, hey, let's go pray for all these sick, hurting people. He says, no, 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 I'm praying that you and every person who calls themselves a follower of Christ would get into the harvest field because it's ready and it's ripe. Let's just get to work. We don't have to pray that the harvest comes up. The harvest is here right now. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. Let's get to work, guys. He doesn't pray for the lost people. He doesn't pray for the hurting people. He prays for his disciples. He prays for the church. He says, guys, I want you to see as I see. Watch this. The disciples saw a crowd. Jesus saw a harvest. With the woman at the well, the disciples saw a prostitute. Jesus saw an evangelist. That woman goes back into the city and reaches an entire city. Think about this. The disciples just got back from the same city and nothing happened because they were only consumed with themselves. But when she met Jesus, she said, I've got to teach and tell everybody about this man. And she goes back into a city as an evangelist because Jesus saw something in her that nobody else saw in her. And she goes back into a city and she wins an entire city to Jesus because Jesus saw something in her that nobody else saw in her. God, give us your perspective. Help us to see as you sees. When, 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 when people look at the disciples, this ragtag group of guys, they look at them as uneducated fishermen, tax collectors. But when Jesus looks at his disciples, he sees world changers. Those 12 men turn the world upside down because Jesus saw something in them. Jesus saw something in them. People looked at Saul, they saw a murderer. Jesus looks at Saul and he sees a man who's going to be a church planner. People looked at Lazarus and saw a dead man. Jesus showed up and said, I see an opportunity right here. Question. When you look at people, what do you see? Do you see a victim? Do you see an addict? 
Do you see someone hurting? Do you see someone who's not valued? Do you see a screw up? Do you see a problem? Do you see a lost cause? Or do you see as Jesus sees? I see a son or daughter of the king. I see a man or woman of God. I see a brother or sister in Christ. I see someone who has potential to be all that God has called them to be. Hey, listen, people walk into this church downcast, discouraged, defeated, and deflated every single Sunday, and some of you are like that right now. I was telling our prayer team earlier, I said, don't look at people on the outside, because I know way too many church people that can walk into a church and have a smile on the outside, but be dying on the inside, and my prayer is that we see as Jesus sees because Jesus can look past a smile and see someone hurting and broken. I wrote this down. When you have no idea how one conversation, one word of encouragement, or one expression of love might change someone's life. One conversation, one word of encouragement, one expression of love might change someone's life. People often don't just remember their words, your words, they do remember how you made them feel. But we do need to speak things over people. I would be very careful what you say over your children. I would be very careful what you speak over your marriage. I would be very careful what you speak over friendships. I would be very careful what you say over enemies. The Bible says, I bless those who curse me. The Bible says, I turn the other cheek. Are are y'all with me today? Why? Because Jesus sees things differently than you and I see them. If I'm seeing people in the flesh, I'll speak to them in the flesh. But if I see them in the spirit, what God has called them, when I look at someone who who comes across and they're hurting and they do something to me, I quickly go, God, they're only doing that because they're hurt. They're only doing that because hurt. I'm not gonna let that stick to me because I know that's not about me. It's really more about them than it is about me. So God, I pray that you would heal that hurt. God, give us your perspective. I pray when you go to Walmart this week, when you go eat out after this, that you would have eyes to see. God, help me to see this waiter or this waitress or this clerk or this employee or this boss. God, give me eyes to see them as they really are. Show me what's going on. How many know if we are people of the spirit and God will show you things in the spirit that you can't see in the natural? Do y'all know that? God will put something on you and go, you need to go talk to them about that. You need to go encourage them. You need to go love on them. You need to stop what you're doing. I know you gotta go get beans and meat and milk. I know, I know. But for this one moment, can you just be present in this moment? Can you imagine what would it look like if Jesus would have been so busy as his disciples, he would have missed an opportunity to meet with a woman at a well that would change a city? But because he did what we talked about weeks ago, which he, he just slowed his role. He just slowed down. It was a pace of Jesus. He was never in a hurry. And most of Jesus' miracles, by the way, were all interruptions. I'll say that one again. Most of Jesus' miracles were all interruptions. He didn't plan for them. God the Father did. But he had eyes to see as his Father. Last one, number three. God, I pray that we have his passion. Can we see not only Jesus' purpose, not only Jesus' perspective, but can we see his passion? Luke chapter 15 says, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep, and how many? How many? 
one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? So he's going to share in in Luke chapter 15, he's going to share three different things that are lost. The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Now, if you have a hundred dollars and you lose a dollar, I mean, unless like you're like, oh, you're probably like, yep, oh well, it's no big deal. But how many know he's not talking about money, he's talking about people. How many of you have honesty in here? Okay, you cannot lie, Jesus knows. How many of you have lost a child before? You have lost a child before. Raise your hand. Lost a child. You didn't know where they were. Doesn't have to be long, but you didn't know where they were. Okay, all right. Hey, by the way, you're in good company. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. Just want you to know, okay? So don't feel judged, okay? Mary and and Joseph lost him. Hey, by the way, they lost him for three days, okay? Feel good about being a parent, all right? Yeah. Okay, for those in here who have ever lost a child, if you have more than one child, I have three sons, Okay, I've lost a son before. I'll share it in just a moment. But I I did not say, I got two more. He's been giving me issues anyways, okay? I pray, pray somebody takes him. He'll be fine. No, I did not. Okay, so so we're actually coming up on, on Halloween. And this is funny because this story actually happened on October 31st. And that was um, my... Uh, wife had gone to Walmart, um, and so dad was taking care of the house. So I was cooking, and I was parenting. Take notes, guys. Okay, so um, I was cooking, and I was parenting. You might not want to take notes about what's about to happen, though. So uh, my, my, one of my sons, okay, he's my middle son. My middle son was, was, uh, was being a middle son. And, um, and everybody had had enough. And so I was like, go in your room. I'll deal with you later. So, you know, um, so he leaves and I'm, I'm cooking, I'm cooking, I'm cooking. Lindsay comes home. I'm cooking, I'm cooking. Think I'm being the best dad ever. And then she says, well, where's Judah? And I'm like, oh, let me tell you. He's in a little timeout time. I, I, need to go, I need to go deal with him. Okay. So I go and I open his door to his, to his room. Nothing. Hey, Judah, where you at? Come on out, bud. Come on. Nothing. Nothing. We, we only have 1,100 square foot home. You can hear a person in the bathroom or in the kitchen. All right. Judah, where you at? Nothing. Nothing. Judah, where you at? Nothing. Nothing. I'm going around. Judah, where you at? Nothing. Nothing. Every room. Judah, where you at? Okay. Now, mama, she's like, what did you do with my son? How many know now it became possessive? It was her son. It was our son to begin with. Now it's, my, now it's her son. What did you do with our son? I don't, I don't know. Immediately her mind goes to, it's trick-or-treating time. So immediately her mind goes to, he went out in the road, some child molester came by in a van and took him. I mean, every mama, that's like immediately gone to. He got hit in the road or he got taken in the road. He's like, so she's outside now. Get out, get out. I'm in the backyard. Get out, get out. Nothing. And I'm talking about like minutes. And how many know those minutes seem like hours? 
Jonah, where are you? Jonah, where are you? Come on. Nothing, 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 nothing. She is literally on the phone about to call 911. And the Holy Spirit impresses to me, go look under your bed. And I go into our master bedroom and I lift up the sheets and he is shaking, crying. And I'm like, what? Where? Get out. You know, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> Your mom's about to beat me. You're just, everybody's getting beat today. Um, <laughs> and so, and so, bud, what are you doing? Did you hear us calling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why didn't you say anything? I was so scared. Scared of what? Scared of getting a spanking. Scared of spanking. You're going to get a spanking now. <laughs> so I get him, sit on the bed. He's in my lap. He's crying, he's crying, he's crying. Now I want you to imagine for a moment, okay? Watch this. I want you to imagine in all of that craziness going on around, we can't find him, we're screaming his name. I want you to imagine Josiah, my oldest son, walks up to me and says, hey, dad, what are we having for dinner? <laughs> what? Yeah, what are we doing for dinner? I'm hungry. Can I, can I get a snack? Son, we're looking for your son right now. I mean your son, your, your brother. <laughs> we don't start that early. Okay, so watch this. Not a bad question. Wrong time. Right? Wrong time. It's either you help me find your brother or you get out of the way. Okay? There are so many of us right now that are asking God what's for dinner when he's going, I'm just trying to find the one. I'm so focused on finding the one and you're over here just wanting me to talk about what's for dinner. Not a bad question, just the wrong time. Just the wrong time right now. Right now we need to be focused on finding the one. Help me find 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 the one. Luke 15, verse five, he goes on, he says, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. He's talking about the sheep, not the son. <laughs> and when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors and saying, rejoice with me. Because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven. Watch this. Take this in for a moment. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 people who came to church on Sunday. Think about that for a moment. Heaven celebrates when the lost come home. All of heaven rejoices. It's a party when the lost come home more than the righteous who haven't strayed away. You cannot reach what you cannot see. You cannot reach what you cannot see. 
And there's nothing that brings heaven more joy than rescuing one person. And I pray with all of my heart that as long as I am the pastor of our Savior's church, that will be the sole mission of our church is to seek and to save that which is lost, to come home, to have a relationship with God so that we can be a church that brings a party to heaven. God, we want to bring a party to heaven. I'll end with this. Um, Let's do this here. Uh, Lucy, come here real quick. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Mr. Joe, come here. Come here, come here, come here. I'm going to have you come up here. Yep. Wrong time. <laughs> Carrie, come here, come here, come here real quick. Okay. Now I want you to see something here. Okay. All right. Now, you can't reach what you can't see, right? You can't reach what you can't see. So, so I want to help us here. So, Mr. Joe, I want you to come right here. I want you to stand. I want you to stand this way. Lucy, come over here real quick. I want you to stand right behind him. I want you to stand right behind him. Toe, put, nope, nope, this way. Toe, toes to, toes to feet. Come here, Lucy. Toes to feet. All right, here we go. All right. So I want you to imagine right here <clears throat> that this represents all the people. Now, we know that according to the recent population, there are 7.6 billion people on earth. 7.6 billion people on earth. 2.4 billion people claim to be Christians. Okay, 7.6, 2.4 of them claim to be Christians. Let's just say for a moment that all 2.4 million of, a billion of them are really sold out followers of Jesus. That leaves us with 5.2 billion people that don't know Jesus. You can't reach what you can't see. So I wanna help you see it for a moment here. So I want you to imagine if we had all the people in the world that were lined up here. Now, Jennings, or Jeff Davis Parish, is about 31,000 people. If, if, if all of Jeff Davis Parish got in a big line just like this and everybody was, was heel to toe, that, that line right there would be about six miles. Six miles. Like that's not even, that would be like if we started here and we're on our way to Lake Arthur, every person in Jeff Davis Parish could fit in that, okay? So you would be driving down 26, you'd see Mr. Joe's face, you'd see maybe, maybe Carrie's face, depends, okay. You'd see Lucy's face, okay, all right. And you'd see all the 31,000 people that are in our parish, okay? Louisiana has a little over 4 million people in our state. Not a super huge state, but we got a little over four, four and a half, about four and a half million people. If we were to stack all of the four and a half million people of the citizens of Louisiana, and we were to start here in Jennings, that line would go eight, about 850 miles. That's about to Disney World. So imagine from Jennings to Orlando, you would drive past four and a half million people and go there, okay? All right? So here's my question. What does 5.2 billion look like? If you were to stick 5.2 billion people back to back to back and you were to have them make a big line and let's say we started here and we went all the way to the Florida coast and then we would, let's say we have to build a bridge now a bridge has to go over across all the Atlantic and then we would get to Africa. But there would still be more people. And so you'd have to go all across Africa 
and you'd have to go all across Asia. And then you would get to the end, you would get to Japan. And you think, well, okay, there? Nope, then we got to build another bridge. And that other bridge now goes across the Pacific. And it goes through and it gets to Hawaii because you got to stop in Hawaii just for a little bit. And then you go through and then, then you build a bridge from Hawaii. And the, there's still more people, so you got to build a bridge from Hawaii to California. And then you get to California and be like, okay, that's it? No. Then you would still have people from California all the way back to Jennings. And it would circle the globe, not one time, not two times, not five times, not 10 times, not 20 times, or 30, or 40, but 60 times around the globe. That is what 5.2 billion lost people looks like. You can't reach what you can't see. Hey, thank y'all. Y'all give it up for them. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I end with this. First Corinthians chapter nine says this. This is the apostle Paul when he talks about his, he wants his purpose and his perspective and his passion to be the same that Jesus's is. He says, I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. And watch this, I want, this is it, we're done. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it, I wanted to be in on it. Come on, anybody in here say, let's just not just talk about it, let's be in on it. 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 Your greatest ability that God has is your availability. God, give us eyes to see. God, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see. Why is this so important? You can't take possessions into eternity, but you can take people. And the greatest thing that you will bring into eternity is prayerfully a host of people that are behind you and says, I'm here and I love Jesus because of him. Because of him. Because of what she did. Because of what he did. Because he wouldn't give up on me. Because he kept loving me. Because he kept serving me. Because he kept helping me. Because he kept coming to me. God, give us a vision for the one. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for all those that are in here that that are already in. They're part of the 99. You've called them. You've saved them. You've delivered them. You've brought them into your family. But God, may we not treat your church like a hotel where it's all about us. God, may we treat it like a hospital that's open for the broken, for the hurting, for the desperate, for the needy. For those who recognize that life just doesn't work the way they thought it would work. And that's because you have set eternity in their hearts. Inside all of us, life does not work if you're not a part of the main equation. And so you loved us enough 
that you came and you not only lived a life that we couldn't live, you modeled the life you want us to live. You were passionate about the sick. You were passionate about the, 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 the people who have a past that, that, that they don't want to look back on. But yet, God, you don't see them as the world sees them. You see them as you see them. Give us eyes to see people as you see them. And God, may, may what we see not just, just be something that we uh, look past, but I pray that we would engage in your mission. God, I pray for your people today. God, I pray, Lord, that you give them a heart for that. If you're here in this room, and you'd be honest, say, Pastor Josh, that one that you're talking about, that's me. I'm the one. I know I'm that. I'm the one that's the wayward. I'm the one that's the lost one. I'm the one that's the confused one. I'm the one that's like a sheep without a shepherd. Today, God is calling you back home. He's calling you to let you know that, that he wants to be the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you in this place. No one looking around. Would you just shoot your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor Josh. I know it's me. I know it's me. Okay, anybody else? Awesome. Right here. Right here. Right here. Right here over here on the left. Over here on the left. Thank you. That's me. That's me. I just received that. Father, right now, I pray, Lord, for every, every person that, that just raised their hand. I thank you. That the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices as, as one repents and turns to you. And so, God, we just repent. We turn to you. Lord, we make you the Lord and the Savior of our life. Thank you that you have loved us. Thank you that you have forgiven us. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved us from ourselves, from our sin, from the shame that's been put on our life. And God, you want to give us a new heart, surrendered fully to you. God, I thank you that we are, we are no longer um, bound by that, but you have set us free. You want us to live in freedom and in victory in you. So God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to do what we couldn't do. We turn our lives to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, can we give Jesus praise? All of heaven rejoices today. All of heaven rejoices.